This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And then my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I'm taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And as you're seated, if you would turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. And we've been in a new Sunday morning series on 1 John, walking through 1 John, verse by verse. Pastor says that after we finished 1 John, we're going to go to the epistle of James. And why 1 John and James in particular? Well, these epistles and these truths are under attack in the culture today. Now, as we walk through 1 John, I would encourage you in your devotional time in the Word, and you should have time that you spend in the Word every day, whether it's the morning or the evening, whether it's on your lunch break at work, I would encourage you to read and to study, to meditate on 1 John, but I would also encourage you to spend time and read and study and meditate on the Gospel of John. John's Gospel was the last of the Gospels to be written. It came a little bit later than after Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And so that's reflected in what John wrote. But John gives us great understanding of who Jesus is. It also gives us great understanding of who we are, as we sang about in that last song, in Christ Jesus. And you'll be amazed at how much the Gospel of John and 1 John line up with each other to help us understand who Father God is, who His Son Jesus Christ is, and who we are in them. Now, over the past few Sundays, we've learned in 1 John chapter 2 that we demonstrate our faith in God and we demonstrate our love for God by our obedience. And of course, today in the culture, the church culture, obedience seems to be a dirty word, but we're to obey God. We're to live for God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We're to love Him. We're to live for Him. We're to obey Him. And every command, every instruction is for our good, for our benefit. And so we've seen that we demonstrate our faith in God and our love for God by our obedience. And we've seen that we prove our love for God and our faith in God by our obedience. You know, somebody can put a bumper sticker on their car. Somebody can wear a particular T-shirt. Somebody can put on their Facebook or their Instagram or their social media that they're a follower of Christ, but whether or not we're a follower of Christ is proven true by what we do and by the life that we live and by the choices and the decisions we make by the fruit that we bear. 1 John 2, let's pick up, let's go back a little bit, look at verse 3, 1 John 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. 
So again, we, we prove, we prove out that we truly know God. We're truly a part of the family. We're truly his sons and daughters if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So in order to obey his commands, and we're to obey his word. And that's why we always say from the perspective of James chapter 2, we're to be doers of the word of God. And in every area of life, whether it's in your home, your work, your career, your marriage, your family, your parenting, your child raising, your finances, we're to be doers of the word. And if we'll do things God's way, if we'll obey God's commands, if we'll live life God's way, we'll be better off than if we do things our way or if we do things the world's way. And when we live this life, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. See, sometimes we think that love is feelings, that love is when, you know, you know, certain times of the year they show the bachelor or the bachelorette. That's not love. We think that love is, you know, we, we gather together, well, well who gives the, the biggest, most fawning hug? You know, that, that, that kind of stuff makes me totally uncomfortable. You know, Jessica and I, we, we haven't been to the movies much lately the past few years, but when we would ever have time and opportunity to go see a movie, and we get there early, get our snacks early, select our seats early, sit in the middle, you know, where you have a good view, right? and hopefully have a chair on either side of you. And then what do people do? They come in, and what do they do? They sit right next to you. We, we, people think love is sentimentality, that love is fawning over somebody. But that's not the way the Bible defines love. And we'll get to that later in 1 John. This is love for God to obey his commands. We'll get to that. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. We've also seen in chapter 2 that we know God if we obey, that we know God if we, we live as Christ lives. So who is the example? Jesus. And so no matter how much progress we make, no matter whether we feel like, man, we're, we're doing a great job, well, the example is Jesus, so we can, we can aim higher. Amen. The example is Jesus, so we can still grow. We can still improve. We can still mature. We can still master being led by the Spirit of God. We know God if we live as Christ lived. We know God if we walk in love. And love, again, is proven in our obedience. We know God if, when we sin, we confess our sins and we repent and as we saw in chapter 1, we walk in the light, and we walk in truth, and we walk in righteousness. And John will have more to say about that. We know God if we overcome. Christ overcame, and in him and through him, we overcome. Well, we're to have the victory over the enemy. We're to have the victory over every work of Satan. Well, we're not to live a defeated life. We're not to live a life struggling with the same things or the same sins year after year after year. We're to have the victory. 
Paul wrote, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. So we saw that we're, we're to overcome. And then we ended last Sunday with this. We know God if his word abides or remains in us. Now John uses that word abide or remain in the gospel of John. And he uses it again in 1 John. We know God if his word abides or remains in us. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to remain? To live in, to dwell in, to settle down in, to take up residence in. You can picture your home or wherever you're, you live. That's inviting the Lord in and the Lord living in, remaining in, taking residence in, settling down in your home. Well, if Jesus is there, if you can picture your home in Jesus, you know, being in the third bedroom or whichever bedroom, well, well, that's going to change what goes on in the home, amen? Is there going to be strife in the home? No. Is there going to be yelling or screaming in the home? Is there going to be anger in the home? So abide or remain means to live in, to remain in, to settle down in, to take up residence in. And we left off last Sunday in verse 14, here in chapter 2, John 2, 14, John tells the young men, the word of God lives in you. The word of God remains in you. The word of God has taken up residence in you. The word of God, Christ, has taken up residence in you. He lives in you. Well, that changes everything. That changes how you live. Changes what you can do or cannot do. The word of God lives in you. Now let's continue with verse 15. We know God if we do his will. We know God if we do his will instead of loving or obeying the world. We know God if we do his will. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A few Sundays ago, I preached about Samson. But I began here in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15. Samson was called by God. Samson was gifted by God. Samson was anointed by God. Samson had a particular calling and purpose and destiny in his generation. Samson was called special, set apart before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb. God had a special plan and purpose for his life. But what was Samson's problem? He loved this world. He loved the things of this world. And so we go back to the Gospels and we go back to the words of Jesus. And Jesus tells us, if they hated me, they're going to hate us too. Jesus tells us, if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us too. They persecuted him, they're going to persecute his church. Now I know it's human nature. We want to be liked. Amen. We want people to love us. We want people to say nice things about us. But as the world gets darker, as the world gets more evil and more wicked, as there's more pressure from the world to conform to evil and wickedness and to say every ungodly wicked thing is okay, we're, the world's not going to like us. The world's not going to love us. The world is going to persecute the church. John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That same Sunday when I preached on Samson, I quoted out of the book of James, 
James tells us friendship with the world is hatred toward God. In the book of Revelation, in one of the seven letters to the churches, Jesus refers to those that are lukewarm. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't love God and love the world. You, you can't walk with God and walk with the world. You can't be approved by God and approved by the world. And I know we, we live in this generation and we live in this social media generation. How many friends do you have? How many likes do you have? How many, how many followers do you have? And everybody wants to be famous and everyone wants to be liked and everybody wants to be an influencer. Do not love this world or the things of this world. Why? It is all passing away. And so as believers, we've got to have our mind on eternity. We've got to have our heart set on eternity. If we know the Lord, if God is our Father, there's coming a day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our lives. That's what matters. Not how many friends we have on social media. Not how many likes we have on social media. Not whether we're famous or a celebrity or so-and-so knows us. You know, the past few years, there have been heartbreaking things in the news about preachers and celebrities. You know, young men my age. A few years ago, one of them has since fallen. No surprise, but that young man, another young man, famous name, famous last name, they got invited to a boat party in Miami. I think that was for Jennifer Lopez. And the New York Post described the behavior of these two young ministers my age at that party that they acted like, and this is what the New York Post said, man, horse. Judgment is coming. We're going to stand before God and give an account. We're not to love this world. We're not to seek after the things of this world. And if the world likes us, if the world has no problem being around us, the world is around us or we're around the world and there's no conviction, we're, we've missed it somewhere. We're doing something wrong. We're, we're not living the life. We're to speak the truth, and we speak it in love, but we're to speak the truth. And how, how, how can we win people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and lead them to the Lord if we act and behave in such a way to lead people to believe that walking in darkness is okay? So do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of who is not in him? The love of Father God. Verse 16, for everything in the world. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. You know, the Apostle Paul understood this. He wrote to the church at Corinth, and that church, they had a variety of problems, a variety of issues, but one of the issues was fighting and bickering and divisions in the church. And Paul had come and he had laid the foundation and he, he had instructed them in the things of God. But then as he, he traveled, others had come saying, well, you know, ignore that Paul guy. We're, we're super apostles. And so there were people saying, I follow this guy, I follow that guy. Paul, Paul wrote, if, if anyone can brag, I can brag. But he said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. See, we, we've got to do things God's way. We've got to keep 
eternity in mind and have an eternal perspective and not boast about what the world approves of and not boast about the things of this world. And we live in this world and we live mindful of eternity at the same time. Our Heavenly Father knows that we have need of things. You go to Matthew chapter 6. We have need of things. We have need of food. We have need of clothes. We have need of provisions. Amen. And our Heavenly Father, we know from the Word of God, wants our needs to be met. He wants us to have plenty. He wants us to have more than enough. But you got to keep in mind that the things of this world, they are all passing away. So what's more important than things? People. What, what's more important than things? People. What, what's more important than things? Your, your spirit and whether or not you'll spend eternity with God, the spirit of those that you know, the spirits, the eternal destinies of your children, your grandchildren, that's what matters. Because this world and the things of this world, they are passing away. So we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to live accordingly and stay focused on what truly matters. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And again, in this current church culture, there are false teachers who say it doesn't matter what we do. Well, John tells us the man who does what? The man who does the will of God lives forever. The man who walks with God. The man who lives for God, the man who obeys God, the man who truly lives the life, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's popular, no matter what's not popular, no matter what the, the fads or the trends are, the man who does the will of God lives forever. We then see that we know God if we walk in unity Look ahead, just look down a little bit. Look at the very end of verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their, their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You know, when Jesus, before his arrest, prayed, prayed for his disciples, he prayed for believers to come, that's you and me. In that prayer, he said that we would be known for our love for one another, and for our unity. And here John refers to the fact that there are those that, that leave, but by their, their going, they, they show they never belonged to the body of Christ. Hebrews deals with the fact that there are those that know better, and they, they reject the things of God, and they, they do great harm. They do great harm to the body of Christ. And that's why when Paul writes to the churches and he gives standards for those that serve in ministry, whether as leaders or elders, there, there are standards. And then even for those that serve as leaders in the ministry help, there are standards. Why? So that we will not give a bad report to this world. And then the Bible refers to those that they know better, but they abandon the things of God. They know better but they reject Christ, and by their leaving, they, they demonstrate, they prove they were never a part of the body. And there, there are those that actually work against the church. They work against Christ. They, they work against what is true. 
They get on Facebook or they get on YouTube or they, they get on TV. Well, the, the, the Bible says, but that's all, that, that's passe. This new generation's more enlightened. See, that, that's the voice of Satan. Go back to the beginning when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say? So what does John call this attitude, this spirit? He calls it antichrist. Verse 18. Now, now go back to verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. The Lord, well, Paul wrote that the church, the body of Christ, will be spared from the wrath to come. The Lord is coming for his church, for his bride. And after the Lord comes for the church, the Bible tells us that there will be a period of tribulation, seven years of God's judgment upon planet Earth. If you turn on the news now and don't believe judgment is coming, you need a reality check. Judgment is coming. And during that time, the Antichrist, who the Bible calls the man of lawlessness, will be revealed. Now, Satan, he's not in charge of God's calendar. And so Satan has always had to have people that could be the Antichrist prepared and ready. But the Bible tells us the Antichrist is coming, and John and Paul, they all refer to those that have an Antichrist spirit. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Antichrist literally means against Christ, against Jesus. But again, you go to John chapter 1. Who is he? He is the Word made flesh. So see, when somebody is against his Word and somebody speaks negatively of his Word or somebody goes through his Word and they, they rip out this and they rip out that, doesn't apply to us, don't need to do it, See, that, that is an anti-Christ spirit. It's dangerous. It's destructive. It leads people astray. Antichrist literally means against Christ. And we see from what John writes in 1 John, an antichrist is someone who denies the incarnation. They deny that Jesus was born of a woman. That in a particular time, in a particular place in history, he is the Word made flesh. They deny that. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. As he said in John's Gospel, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, someone who denies that or disagrees with that, what is that? That is an antichrist spirit. An antichrist spirit is someone who denies Father God. And see, that's popular. Well, I love Jesus. Because Jesus talked about love and loving your neighbor, but I'm not so sure I like Father God. Now, the religious leaders in Jesus' day did the opposite. That they thought they liked and they loved and they followed Father God, but then they, they rejected Jesus. But see, now, now people have turned this around. Oh, we like that Jesus guy. We're, we're not so sure about Father God. Well, see, that, that is having an antichrist spirit. Because who is his father? I said, who is his father? Father God, who he called Abba Father. They do not have the father. An antichrist spirit is someone who is a liar and a deceiver. 
John, in fact, he'll go on to tell us that they are, they are many. We would like to think that those that work against Christ and work against his word and work against the church are few in number, but they are actually growing in number, and we see that in the days in which we live. And then someone with an antichrist spirit, they eventually, they, they come out from the church, they come out from the body of Christ, but they end up working against it. They have nothing in common with those that follow Christ. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, now John's not dealing with somebody that they get a different job in a different state and they move. You know, people come to say, Austin, I, you know, I'm going or I'm moving to such and such a place or such and such a city. Do you have any recommendations? That, that's not what John is talking about. He's talking about those that are within the body of Christ. And Hebrews speaks of this. They're born again. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they know the mysteries and the deep things of God. They're teachers. They're, they're leaders. They, they know better. They know to walk in the light, yet they walk in darkness. They know to walk in truth, yet they walk in lies. And they reject Christ. Their judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And it is a very serious thing. Now we also see in the New Testament that part of a pastor's job is to guard the flock of God. And we, we do that to the best of our ability balancing grace and giving people the opportunity to do what's right, redemption, amen. But we also do our best to balance that with not seeing anyone taken advantage of. That, though, is a different situation than someone who's supposed to be a leader or an elder or a preacher, whatever the position is. They, they, they know better, but they, they lead people astray. They know better, but they, they walk in darkness. They, they know better, but they abandon the things of Christ and they get on the news. And they say, well, the Bible says, but that doesn't really apply today. Or the Bible says, but us enlightened people today don't believe that or agree with that. And so then John tells us that we know God if we have the spirit of Christ and his anointing and his truth. In John's gospel, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and that he leads us and guides us into all truth and understanding. That's in John 16 and verse 13. We find elsewhere in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is a deposit within us guaranteeing what is to come. Paul tells us that we're, we're born of the Spirit. We see from the New Testament where when we come to faith in Christ, we're born of the Spirit and then subsequent to that, we are to be filled with the Spirit. So what deposit is within us? What anointing do we have? It is the Spirit of Christ. And that's why Paul writes elsewhere, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, because he is a deposit within us. That's why we just can't do anything. That's why we just can't go anywhere. That's why we just can't act any way we want. That's why we get, again, the example of walking in love with brothers and sisters in Christ. We just can't treat people any way we want to treat them. We represent Christ, and we have his spirit that indwells us. It is the deposit. 
It is the anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Who did Jesus say would lead us and guide us and direct us into all truth and understanding? The Holy Spirit. And that's why there might be times in your life where, you know, somebody says, well, have you heard about this? Or have you heard about that? Or they send you a link to watch or listen to something. And you listen, you hear it, you see it, but there's something on the inside of you telling you, no, that's, that's not right. He leads us and he guides us to protect us. He leads us and guides us into green pastures and still waters. He leads us and guides us into truth, not error, not weirdness, not nonsense, not things that will be destructive to our lives. You know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. There were already those in John's day saying things like, Well, Jesus had secret teachings. He taught to only one disciple or this disciple or that disciple. And they were saying that the key to salvation is not faith in Jesus Christ. They were saying the key to salvation is knowing this secret teaching or that secret teaching or this secret truth or that secret truth. Anything that is done in secret is not righteous. Anything that is done in secret is not pleasing to God. But that was Roman society and and Roman culture. That's what the elites were into. Secret meetings and secret rituals for the elites gathering together, cloaked, literally, in darkness. That's why if a young person comes to me and says, Austin, you know, I'm thinking about doing this or that in college, What do you you think? I'll say, no, it's not righteous. Oh, man, Austin just sounds so old-fashioned. We're to walk in the light. If somebody says, hey, Austin, you want to be a part of our group, but you got to, you know, wear a hooded cloak of a certain color and got to meet us outside at 2 a.m. in the the woods or in the graveyard, my answer is no. Well, we're going to tell you some secret thing. It's not righteous. It's not godly. And so John, like Paul, writes to the church, says, you know the truth. You know the gospel that we we preach to you. Paul writes in Galatians that, that if anyone should appear to you, even an angel, and they preach a different gospel, let him be eternally accursed. So John says, you know it. You know the truth. And no lie comes to the truth, comes from the truth then we see that we know God if we accept and believe in both the Father and the Son. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is the man that denies Jesus is the Christ. See, that's the next step. There was a famous preacher in the 80s in the the full gospel world, but today, today he's a universalist. And those that are heading down the road of doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter... It doesn't matter how you live. That's the next step is universalism. But that is a denial of Jesus Christ. And that is a denial of Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. And it is a denial of Jesus Christ being the only way by which we can come to Father God. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now this is why I was encouraging you to spend some time reading and studying the Gospel of John. In John's Gospel, Jesus told the religious leaders that he simply did and said whatever his Father wanted him to do or say. Jesus told them that to know him is to also know the Father. To see him is to also see the Father. And he repeatedly said, I'm doing my Father's will. He walked this earth doing his Father's will. You cannot know Father God and reject Jesus. And that's what the religious leaders claim. They, they said, well, we, we know Father God, but we reject you. No, you cannot know Father God and reject Jesus. You cannot know Jesus and reject Father God. And again, that, that, that's out there. Well, I, Jesus talked about love. So I like, I like Jesus. I, I'm not so sure about, sure about Father God. We actually got a question recently, not, not from a new believer, from someone in, in ministry. And they actually asked with all sincerity, does grace mean that there, there's no punishment, there, there's no consequences, that there's no judgment during the church age? Well, if you'll read the Gospels, if you'll read the book of Acts, if you'll read the epistles, you'll find out that just because there's grace doesn't mean there's no consequences. If you're unkind to your wife, there are going to be some consequences. If you disrespect your husband, there are going to be some consequences. If you decide to stay home from work the next two weeks and you do not let your employer know, there are going to be some consequences. If you leave church and you say, I'm really hungry, let's drive 120 miles an hour to Chili's, there are going to be some consequences. Go to the book of Acts. One of the things that marked believers being walking in love and unity and full of the Holy Spirit was overwhelming generosity. And people were giving incredible gifts. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they plotted, they conspired to act like that's what they were doing, but they lied. Peter said to them, you have not lied unto men, but unto God. And they dropped dead. You read through Acts and you find other examples of people engaging in shenanigans, judgment, and consequences. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He told them that they, they were mistreating each other. They weren't walking in love. They were abusing the Lord's table. They, they were treating communion without respect. And he says, this is why some among you are weak and you are sickly and you have died prematurely. What does that mean? Early, before you should have. So you cannot know the Father and reject Jesus. You cannot know Jesus and reject the Father. You, you cannot claim to know and to love the Lord and reject his word. See, we're, we're to give the entirety of our hearts and our lives unto God. And we're to live for him and love him and serve him. And that includes doing his will, which is doing his word. Jesus told the religious leaders in John 8, verse 19, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. We then see that we know God if Christ abides or remains in us. Verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the son and in the father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. And my father shared at 9 a.m. how in the 80s, 
when the church had moved into the first building at I-30 and th things were tight, he went to a particular meeting and heard Kenneth Hagin in person for the first time and heard John Osteen in person for the first time. But then when he came home, he checked out what they taught in the Word of God and saw it was true. And so he explained at 9 a.m., he, he didn't teach faith because it was a fad or because it was popular. He, he headed down the road of faith and faith in God and faith in his word because he saw from the word of God it's right and it's true. It's how we walk with God. It's how we receive any good thing from God. But there, there's a tendency amongst young people. Well, what's popular? What's cool? What's current? What's the latest and greatest fad? And th this is how people get messed up. This is how people get into error and nonsense and weirdness or whatever it is. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you'll remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us even eternal life. We know God if we abide or remain in Christ. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And they're out there. That's why you have to guard what you watch, you have to guard how you listen. That's why, again, Paul, for those that stand behind, you know, used to the pulpit was called a sacred desk. That's why Paul gives standards for those that serve in leadership and not just the leaders. He also gives standards for those that lead amongst the ministry of helps, what's called deacons and deaconess, so that people would not be led astray so that people would not get messed up or be taken advantage of. I'm writing about these things. I'm writing these things to you about those trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing. Well, what's the anointing? How, how are we anointed? In the Old Testament, when someone was called by God, who was it that would come upon them? The Holy Spirit. And see, we, we have something today that is greater and more wonderful than what they had because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the way that we're born again, it is by the Holy Spirit. And so from that point forward, we have a deposit within us. Paul says it's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As for you, the anointing, the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need to, you not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing, what is that? His spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now, when John says we don't need anyone to teach us, is he saying we don't need to gather together? We don't need to hear the word? No. He was dealing with early forms of Christian Gnosticism. Those claims of new truth or secret teachings or secret ways to salvation, secret ways to salvation that denied Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that denied that he rose from the grave physically, bodily. Like those who heard Paul, believers had come to faith through John's ministry. They had heard the gospel. They had heard his message. Chapter 1, John says, that which we have seen and heard from the beginning. They walked with Jesus. They, they saw with their own eyes. They heard with their own ears. Like Paul, they had come to faith. Like those Paul ministered to, believers had come to faith through John's ministry. 
They had heard the gospel and the message. They were born again. They had the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who would lead them and guide them into all truth and understanding. So John told them, don't, don't be led astray. Don't be taken advantage of. You have his word. You have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that indwelt Christ. You don't have a need for new or strange doctrines, which Paul called the doctrines of demons. You, you don't need secret teachings. You know, someone says to you, you know, no one's ever heard this before. That is a warning sign. There's no such thing as new truth. And in fact, that is the definition of a cult. A cult is any group that claims new truth, that something that no one has ever had or heard before. So you have no need of new or strange doctrines or secret teachings. As James tells us, just be a doer of the word. As John tells us, the man or woman who does the will of God will live forever. So he tells in verse 27, remain in him. Remain in him. Live in, remain in, take up residence in Christ. Let Christ and his word remain in and live in and dwell in and take up residence in you. And yes, that has everything to do with the successful prayer life. John's gospel, John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and now, dear children, so he's writing to believers, continue in him. So, so don't give up, don't quit, don't, don't throw in the towel, don't, don't hear some new or strange teaching or doctrine that would lead you to believe it doesn't matter what you do or how you live or where we're not going to give an account. I just read in the Gospels this week that Jesus said we would have to give an account for every word, every careless word. So John says, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And then we see as he ends this chapter that we truly know God if we do what is right and if we practice righteousness. Tell your neighbor, say, Practice righteousness. Tell your other neighbor, say, practice righteousness. Well, we, have, we have sports here at the school, and we believe in practice. And they do better when they practice and when they practice more. With one of our daughters, we, we got home from a game recently, and I said, you know what? I know you're tired, but let's go outside and practice. She told me, she said, Daddy, I don't want to practice. I said, no, that's how we get better. We practice. And so John ends chapter 2 rehearsing to us that we truly know Father God if we do what is right and if we practice righteousness. And again this flies in the face of what's popular out there that it doesn't matter what we do or how we live. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So see if I do what is right and I walk in truth, and I walk in the light, and I walk in righteousness, that is proof, that is evidence, that is a testimony that I truly know God. It is proof, it is evidence that I have been genuinely saved and genuinely born again. And the New King James and the NASB, they translate this as those who practice righteousness. 
An old word is practitioner. Practitioners of righteousness. Not, not from this sin to that sin to this sin to that sin. Not from this defeat to that defeat to this defeat. Not this bad report to this bad report to this bad report. No, what is true and what is right and what is pure. Those who do what is right. Those who, as some translations say, practice righteousness. They are the ones who have been born of him. Turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We'll end here. A sign of spiritual maturity is the ability to distinguish good from evil. And we live in days where in the world, they're, they're calling what's good evil and what's evil good. You know, if, if you had told me when I was 15 years old that the things that are going on in 2022 would be happening, I, I wouldn't have believed it. In the 70s, David Wilkerson received a vision of what was to come in our nation, and I believe we have that, that little book in the cafe, the vision. But when that book came out in the early 70s, people were angry and people were mad and people said, you're, you're out of your mind. None of that's going to happen. None of that's going to come to pass. But you read the vision today in 2022, it's like PG. It's just the tip of the iceberg of the evil and the perversion and the, the wickedness we see in these days. And part of what we face is, see, the world, the world wants to apply pressure to the people of God. They want us to conform. They want us to come into agreement, not with the word of God, but with them. And they want us to say that these lies and these evils and these perversions are okay, that they're, they're fine, that they want us to come into agreement with their perversion and their, their wickedness. But we see from the word of God that a sign of spiritual maturity is the ability to distinguish good from evil. And this is why the beginning in chapter two, I pointed out, and Jesus said in the gospels, if the, the world, if those that didn't believe hated him. Guess who they're going to hate too? Us. Now I know, it's human nature. We want to be liked. We want people to say, man, that Austin guy, he's a nice guy. But the reality is, you know, when we did preaching lab in seminary, I think it would have helped if occasionally they had people get up and storm out while we preached. It, I, that, that would be my suggestion for improvements. You know, this is what the Bible says about marriage. Someone gets up and walks out. Or even though the culture says this perversion is okay, God calls it sin. Someone gets up and they walk out. But a sign of spiritual maturity is the ability to distinguish good from evil. And you have to keep this in mind, that as long as Jesus continues to tarry, the world is going to get darker. The world is going to get more wicked. More pressure is going to be applied to God's people and the church. There will be times of persecution. And if we walk in the truth and we walk in the light and we walk in what's righteous, we are going to have to steal ourselves and have backbones of steel and like Joshua, raise our children and grandchildren to serve the Lord with that attitude. Now look at Hebrews 5 beginning in verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk 
being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So, so who doesn't know about righteousness? Who's the believer? And they, man, they've been in church and living for God 20 or 30 years, but they don't know anything about righteousness. They don't walk in righteousness. They're an infant. They're the spiritual baby. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is why we're to live and remain in him. That's why his word is to live and remain and take up residence down in us. So by constant use, we train ourselves to do what? To distinguish good from evil. And I think this is why sometimes my father and I get judged. You know, if someone sent me a message or they, they walked up to me, they said, Austin, you know, an angel appeared to me last night. Well, see, I'm just not going to believe whatever somebody might tell me. I'm going to judge it by what? And I'm also just in hearing them and talking to them and seeing them, I'm going to evaluate the fruit before me. Good fruit or bad fruit. And see, someone might say, well, that, that's not loving. It is by God's standard. And it's a sign of maturity in Christ and maturity in his word. Chapter 6, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. I know that there are new believers among us and people new to the church and next step's gonna begin laying a firm foundation soon. See, all of these things the author of Hebrews mentions, that's what laying a firm foundation covers, the, the basics. See, we ought to know the basics, we ought to master the basics so we can go on to maturity. So there shouldn't be a believer and they, they've been in church five years or 10 years or they've known Christ five years or 10 years and they don't know the basics. They, they can't distinguish good from evil. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. See, there, there are those that are saying we don't need to confess anything, don't need to repent of anything. That is one of the most basic elementary aspects of Christianity to repent and to turn from it and to make things right. Of faith in God, of instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Then he ends that list with eternal judgment. What is another basic, fundamental, elementary fact every believer has to understand? Every believer will stand before Jesus Christ at his judgment seat to give an account. So that has to be the guardrails and the parameters and the guidelines for how we live in this world and how we represent him in this world. Please bow your heads. You might be here today. You say, Austin, I've heard you preach about knowing God, knowing Father God, being his son, his daughter, being a part the family, but I, I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with him. This world that we live in, it'll lie to you. It'll, it'll tell you that there are many paths to God. That is a lie. Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There, there's one name that we can call upon and be saved. His name 
is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is the Savior of the world. There's another lie out there that it'll tell you that if you're just kind of good enough or you're not as bad as the next guy or the next girl, that that's sufficient. But that is a lie. The Bible tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. This world will tell you that you can come up with your own path to God. You can make your own way. You can define the terms. No, friend, there is one God. And there is one way we can be saved. If you're here today and say, Austin, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, but I want to. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but I want to. I want to give him my life. I want to be a part of the family of God. That's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up high so I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give him my life. I want to become a part of the family of God. You might also be here today and at a time in your life you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for God. You know that you've been doing your own thing. You, you've defined the terms and the rules for the life you live, and you are paying the price. The Bible tells us that his mercy is new every morning. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here today knowing you have peace with God, a new beginning, a fresh start. If you're here today and say, Austin, that, that's me, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with God before I go today. If that's you, raise your hand wherever you're seated. Thank you. See the hand raised? Any others? We're going to pray. If you raised your hand for either invitation, I'm going to ask that you come. Join me at the front. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but God's dealing with your heart. Come, join us at the front. Everyone will be excited for you. No one will think a thing of it. They will, they will rejoice with you. Bless you. What's your name? God bless you. Repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins and I give you my life. I believe that Jesus, he was born on my behalf. I believe he lived without sin and he paid the price for my sins. I believe he suffered and he died on my behalf. And I believe you raised him from the dead and from this day forward, Jesus will live in me. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. And thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll take a moment and just go with the wonderful people behind you. They've got some things to bless you with. They'll get you right back in the service. God bless you.